G'day everybody and welcome to this very special episode of Chronicle Chambers X-Men, the Phantom Podcast. Um, with us this episode, we have writer of Egmont Phantom Comics, Philip Madden. How are you, Philip? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for asking, and yourself? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Um, and of course, as always, we have Jermaine with us. How are you, Jermaine? Pretty good, mate, everyone. Good to yep. have you back. And Stephen, how are you, Steve? I'm good. I made it on time today. I'm doing you well. did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Phillips um, very graciously uh, agreed to join us um, from all the way over in Omar to talk about his Phantom work. So, um, Philip, do you want to start off by telling us just a little bit about yourself, what you're doing in Omar, and about how you or why you decided to become a writer? Okay. So. Uh, my name is Philip Martin. Um, I've been uh, writing at, well, ever since I was a teenager, really. Um, writing all sorts of stuff newspaper articles, short stories. Um, and a few years ago, um, I started working for DC Thompson in the UK. That, that's where I'm from, by the way, from, from uh, Rotherham, South Yorkshire in the north of England, and a few years ago uh, I started freelancing for DC Thompson, who I don't know if, if you get DC Thompson titles in Australia, Commando Comics, uh, Beano, The Dandy, stuff like that, I don't know if you know these, yeah. these, these yeah. titles, yeah, okay, so I started um, working uh, freelance, freelancing for DC Thompson on, on The Dandy, uh, just writing humor, kiddies humor comic strips, and as well as uh, sending ideas to to Commando as well, um, and that led me on to uh, approaching Egmont um, about three three four years ago. I just sent an email to uh, Mikhail when Mikhail Sal, who's the new the new group editor at Egmont Carnon, he took over after Ulf Granberg retired. So it was a case of being in the right place at the right time because the there was a change in um, editorial staff, and so they were looking for fresh blood in terms of you know, writers and, uh, and ideas. Um, so I was. I approached Mikhail through an email just to explain that I was looking to pick up some more, more writing work and would I, would I be able to send a synopsis to them and they'd consider it. Um, Mikhail put me in touch with uh, uh, Kleiser Remitheri, who's you know, the, chief, the chief writer on the Swedish pantomime comic. Um, he, he said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, um, we'll um, accept your idea, we'll have a look at it and let you know. So I, I uh, spent a couple of days coming up with a, a synopsis, which was the second comic actually that I published, which was uh, The Pandemic, which introduced uh, the, the Russian oligarch uh, Timorov. Um, so it was the first idea that I submitted to Egmont, but it was the second comic that I got published. Um, because there was a, a delay with the artwork getting getting submitted, so uh, I 
I spent a few days, you know, writing a synopsis, coming up with something that I thought would be um, interesting. Um, I sent it off to Kais, and a few days later, he got back in touch saying that they really liked it, and that they uh, commissioned me to to write the script. Uh, and that was it, really. That was that was my um, ticket into um, the ranks of Team Phantom Man. And after that, I was asked to uh, keep sending in ideas and and um, submitting scripts. And here we are, a couple of years later, being interviewed <laughs> for your uh, podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're you're famous <laughs> now, mate. You're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> in my own life, in my own lunchtime. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, when you were saying that you, uh, you you came across Team Egmont, how did you come across Team Egmont or Egmont Comics? Was were you a fan? Did you uh, yeah. was it something else or? Um, okay, so I I'll, I'll be I'll, I'll be bluntly honest here. I was I approached Egmont just out of um, the need of a freelance looking from for work. Um, as a, basically, um, because the Phantom is not that well known in the UK, and yeah. it's not particularly uh, um, appealing character in the sense of his costume and the fact that he seems to be, you know, rather old-fashioned. He belongs to the, um, the, you know, the the uh, very very old-school kind of. Hero like Zorro, Taz, and that kind of character. I mean, this is what a lot of British uh, comic readers would see, see him as. In, see him as. So, to be honest, I, I, I was aware of the Phantom um, from the Billy Zane film. Yeah. From the 90s. I remember seeing that in the cinema and um, taking it for what it was, you know. It was quite goofy. Bit, bit, bit <laughs> is, is that like a kind way of saying you didn't really enjoy it? <laughs> no, no, no. It, I, it, I did. I did. Um, I, but I, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I've always had a fondness anyway for the old classic uh, newspaper comic strip characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I grew up uh, reading uh, a lot of um, newspaper comic strips in Britain. Um, I'm Garth, I don't know if he ever was popular down in Australia. I was published in the Daily Mirror in the UK. It was cancelled a few years ago. And my grand, my granddad, he, he used to collect uh, a lot of uh, the old, the old uh, newspaper comic strip um, and collect them in book form. So I remember getting when I was a, a kid opening a box, and there was a, a lot of like notebooks with full of the you know uh, Flash Gordon strips and things like that that had been. Um, uh, glued into into uh, an old an old notebook. Uh, that was also a, a amongst the other comics that I used to re used to read. So I'd always always liked uh, the old the old style heroes anyway. Um, in addition to to stuff like more gritty urban stuff like 2000 AD, you know, Judge Dredd and Strontium and Dark and whatnot, um, and things like that. So uh, it wasn't really out of an, uh, any great um, desire to write a phantom story. It was mostly just a, you know uh, a freelance writer looking to 
expand his, his repertoire and pick up work um, in another market. And I'd, I'd, I'd heard about writers like Don Avanel and Norman Worker, the British writers mm -hmm. who worked on the Swedish production uh, of The Phantom. So it's, it was pretty much in that, that vein, basically. I knew that British white writers could approach Egmont Carmen because of people like the other now, Norman Worker, who had established themselves on the title. So yeah, that's how I got involved with the Phantom. Okay. And I think it I think it's sometimes it it's uh, it works out quite well because sometimes if you're too attached to a character, too much of a fan, then when working on that character um, can sometimes be detrimental. Um, I mean, because I, I, I approached it from a cold, detached, non-fan non uh, kind of perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so Phil, not, not being a fan or, or growing up, was yeah. it, whatever, um, what type of research did you have to do to, what, to write a phantom story? Quite a bit. <laughs> Quite a bit, yeah. Um, but then again, Egmont, well, not really Egmont, Frew helped me out there. Um, I, um, I got a lot of stuff sent from me from Judy Shepherd and her husband, her late husband before he passed away. They sent me a lot of stuff through the post, a lot of Lee Falk classic stories and stuff like that. Oh, to, wow. uh, yeah, to to like educate myself you know, about the phantom and um, about the history and the mythology. And also Egmont sent me a lot of stuff as well. Clive sent me a lot of background material. And um, my first few scripts that I, that I wrote for Egmont, um, Clive and, and the other ed editors at Egmont would make suggestions uh, and and when they made suggestions, they would like try to uh, enlighten me a little bit about the Phantom history, uh, yeah. especially about things like um, the political situation in, in Bengali, um, uh, the, the civil war going on in, uh, in neighboring countries around, uh, around Bengali, and how the Phantom is involved in things like, <coughs> in things like that. The Phantom's relationship with with the wildlife, how he's not just a protector of uh, people, he's also a protector of nature and, wild, and the wild animals of the, of the jungle. Um, so just keep, you know, making things, keeping, uh, keeping everything in check, making sure that it was connected to everything that had gone before. Uh, the consistency mm -hmm. of the and um, I, I. Um, I, I, you know, I, I respected that. I wasn't trying to do anything avant-garde or, or go out on a limb or anything. You know, with, you know, not trying to revamp the character at all. That wasn't anything I intended to do. So I was always willing to, to be, uh, to be enlightened about the Phantom's, the Phantom's past and history. Cool. So, how so, did you uh, find out about yeah, Fru then? Did, did uh, the guys at Edmont sort of say, well, these guys have got a whole bunch of old folk stories they can send you, or did you 
um, have to do your own research to find out about them because it sort of seems it seems interesting to me that Egmont. Um, uh, sorry, Fru provided you with so much stuff when you were yeah. actually working for Egmont. Yeah, well, I well I contacted Fru uh, myself because after oh, okay. my first, yeah after my first script, I I sent them an email um, because I wasn't sure um, what Fru wanted. Did they want my original script, or did they have some other way of doing it with Egmont? So just basically, I. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm quite a proactive person, you know. I, I just decided yeah. to contact through by myself, and I was uh, they um, the late uh, Mr. Shepherd. He he said, "Yeah, he sent an email saying, oh no, send this send the script to us. It makes life easy for us, as you know, yeah. written in English and you're a native speaker of English. <laughs> uh, send send it to us, and also." Uh, I'll tell, we'll, we'll send you a lot of um, a lot of free comics, and uh, so that was it. wasn't my intention. I wasn't fishing for that. They, it was a, a Jim Shepard who decided to do that for himself, and I didn't know him. I just sent a few emails. I read a few a little few e email exchange, but he, he seemed a, such a lovely chap, and uh, um, it was quite a surprise when. Because it was very early in my phantom career when, when we passed away, um, mm. that, was, that was quite a shock to hear that. Because I think that I've been online, uh, having an email conversation with him. And the next day, I heard the news that he passed away. Mm. So that was that was quite tragic. Yeah. yeah. So it was just yeah, it was just through uh, through just just decided to help me out basically out of. Uh, being uh, helpful to a new writer. Oh, so, so with the with the comics that Fru gave you, which is a great yeah. idea, um, did you have any favourites among those? Like any favourite um, stories or favourite writers? Were they just Lee Fork stories, or did you have a look at some of the other Egmont ones? No, there was, there was some of the yeah Egmont stuff. That the it was a a, a real mix actually. A lot of Leaf Fog, the classic Leaf Fog um, stuff. Um, and there was, a, yeah, some of the Egmont stories. I think uh, a few by Price uh, and uh, some of the other Swedish writers. And uh, some of the American, the contemporary Tony DePaul, um, King's Features uh, newspaper strip, which group which published. Um, I remember it was a story about a lion being uh, a story about with, with the um, phantom helping a lion escape the clutches of some some torches, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, if I recall properly. Um, well, the Lee Falk ones were were quite. Um, were quite impressive simply because of the richness of the storytelling, and uh, you know this is of course the, the guy. This is the guy who knew the Phantom better than anybody else. It was his creation, so you know. Um, I can't remember the names of, of the stories offhand. I'm trying to remember what the, some of the stories were about. Well, the Sky Pirates. One of the stories I remember. Uh, 
Um, uh, uh, the story of the twins as well, how the twins were born, his marriage, um, how the twins were born, and how everybody around the phantom was surprised that it, it was sort of a neat story actually because uh, you know the phantom's waiting to produce an produce an heir, and he produces two heirs, and uh, one is a boy, and one is a girl, and it's a great it's a great um, a device for a lot of you know to explore in future stories. It was a, a real a real subject that could be mined and mined and mined, and so you know it has a it has a connection to to the to the recent story that I did that I, I did write for Eggman about uh, the, the twins growing up and the Phantom having to face the face the choice pretty you know soon he'll have to make a choice of which one of his children he is going to be the next Phantom. So was was that a story that uh, was that a story that you came up with, or was it a um, a storyline that Egmont kind of gave you? Yeah, Egmont uh, actually, yeah, because most of my well, in fact, all of my previous stories that I submitted to Egmont were ideas that I came up with, you know, and just okay. um, sent to Egmont, and they gave the green lights, or they gave or some suggestions, asked for rewrites, and then. Um, then give it, you know, then say, okay, you can, can write that. But this story, um, I was at, I was specifically given the idea and asked to come up with something. So it was Price uh, who did contact me by email and said, could you do something with the twins? Um, we wanted uh, something where they're in um, competition with each other. So they're giving the, they're trying to impress their father. So it was a, a, a brief outline, you know, that I was given, and I was asked to go and come up with a story. So the yeah, club, yeah, go on. Oh, well, it was just um, like Jermaine mentioned before that we were um, just talking about that that uh, issue, the rivals, and we all three of us commented on how. Uh, I guess true the relationship you had between Kit and Heloise is to actual um, siblings because you know we've yeah. all you know been that age you know mid early teens where we're trying to impress our family uh, parents and stuff and um, yeah it, it struck all three of us just how real that relationship came across in the script so was that something that you had to work on to get you know exactly right how you wanted it, or was that something that came fairly natural? Because it's been a long time in the progression of Phantom stories that we've seen such yeah. a dramatic change in how both the twins were portrayed. Yeah, well, it's it's a combination of a couple of things. Firstly, it's the fact that these two twins. I mean, from my own experience, from my own life story, twins I, I have known in my life are very competitive, more competitive than, than uh, ordinary siblings um, to the fact that you know, they, they, they can have such fierce rows and falling, falling out, I mean extremely almost to the point where they want to kill each other. It's a, <laughs> an observation I've seen with twins. Now these, these two Twins, um, 
that they are both, you know, they're competing with each other for the title of the Phantom. Yeah. So that that brings an extra dimension to it. But at the same time, they are they are twins, and there is that 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 bond between them, that that um, blood bond that transcend that usually transcends everything else. Even though they both want to be the next Phantom, they both love each other very much, and are you know um, would do anything for for the other one. Yeah, um, that really so, stood out. Yeah, so I I wanted to approach it from that angle as well to show that when at the, the end of the day they they are they are siblings and that, that that family bond overcomes everything else, which is which is reflective I think of how most siblings rivalries are. Like um, I, I I am the eldest of I have three siblings. I'm the eldest. And so it's not. I, I wasn't aware of sibling rivalry till I was much older when I realized that my brother and my my, my younger siblings were tr competing with me, were trying to um, impress. Because I've been the eldest, I didn't see it. I wasn't aware of it until I was a lot older. So it was something I missed a lot growing up. This is because of being the eldest, you don't have to prove anything. You don't have to. Impress anybody, you know. So, yeah. so it was something that if, uh, I re when I observed my my siblings' behavior um, from my own my own experience, I, I realized that that it is it is something that uh, happens. But at the same time, um, you 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 will all, you always stick together. You know, bloody stick it on water. Mm. It's a it's a it's a cliche, but it's true. You know. Um, yeah. So I wanted to, to reflect that, but at the same time also show that um, um, that the, the, these two are you know, exceptional young people who even if one of them doesn't, I mean one of them will fail in their bid to be phantom. However, that doesn't mean the story ends there. I mean, after the way I see it, there, there could be a future role for one of the twins the one that doesn't become the Phantom, they could go off and do something equally worthwhile in the, in, in, in the world. I don't know if Egmont or King Features have have a plan for that. It's just my own my own um, idea as a as a creative writer. We're just looking at the looking at the material with with, with a writer's eyes. You know. it, it, it could even go the other way. They could even become uh, opposite. You could have like let's say Kit becomes the Phantom, his sister could become so resentful and off become his arch enemy or something like that. And he could end up <laughs> spinning off in a different direction. Because she's so angry and and frustrated. But at the same time she's it's still her brother. So she's not really going to do anything which would put him in danger. So there's a lot, yeah. lot of there's a lot of possibilities there. It's it's a great a great story. I mean and Lee Falk was it was a, such a genius when Lee Falk decided that this Phantom, he would have twins, a boy mm -hmm. and a girl. It, it, I think it was in '77 or '78 when he he wrote that story, and the possibilities are boundless. You could you know, could go on for years and years with the story. Yeah. So so we've had um stories in the past where 
um, from Egmont, where um, both the twins have grown up to be the Phantom. Do you like that idea, or do you think it's better if only one becomes the future Phantom? Um, personally, um, personally, I would think it's better if only, if only one of them becomes the Phantom. Simply because it makes more more sense from uh, from you know from the, the lineal side of things where it's always been one yeah. phantom from generation to generation. Um, but you know I don't want to um, say anything about other people's work. Um, or anything <laughs> other um, no, of course, it, of course. It's not it's not an avenue that I would uh, I would explore. Yeah. Well, well um, in that in that same idea, and again, you said you don't want to say um, anything about other people's work, but something else that kind of really stood out to us when we read it was um, in previous uh, stories featuring the twins, whether this has been an intentional thing on um, Egmont's part or the writer's part or it just sort of came out that way, Kit has always been sort of portrayed as, for lack of a better term, the stupider one of the two. Um, yeah. He's sort of the one that's always causing the trouble and Halloween's and the Phantom have to come in and bail him out. But in your story, they were very much equal. Like, Kit went off and uh, did his thing and then Heloise got a bit jealous because she thought her dad was going to be more impressed with Kit. So she went and made her own plan and they were, the two plans, while they were opposite to each other, were both very clever and then they came together at the end to solve, resolve the story. But they were both yeah. intelligently equal. Was that something that you did yourself or did Egmont, you know, the people at Egmont <laughs> you know, kind of realised we've made Kit to look like a bit of a dork? Can you fix that yeah. up or...? No, 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 it was, um, yeah, that, was uh, that was my own, my own work. There was no mm -hmm. input from Egmont. The only, the only input from Egmont was, as I said before, the outline. Uh, yeah. Come, Come up with a story with the twins where they're both competing uh, so with. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, were you aware of uh, the, the research you had done? Did you um, come across any stories like the one I mentioned? Like, I don't want you to have to poo-poo any of your fellow creators, but no, it's just no, no, something no. that a lot of fans have sort of commented on um, when yeah. they've read the stories. No, it, it was just my own. Um, my, I, I. I I wasn't that um, aware of previous stories about the twins, apart from the recent one that the recent American newspaper comic um, strip from King Features, which had uh, a storyline uh, again. I think it's Tony DePaul was the writer and Paul Ryan, yeah. the artist, where the, the twins were um, put through their paces by the Phantom, and he sent them out on a out, out on a survival course kind of thing, and they both were trying to like toughen them up kind of thing, show that what it would really mean to be the Phantom, how fit and um, and ready for action they would need to be. And I think they they also went on a couple of adventures with him in recent storyline. That was a that was the only um, only thing I was aware of. I mean, it's without wanting to sound flippant. I think it's a little bit. Um, if you if you become too much aware of what's gone on before and become too 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 subservient to 
to chronology and, and what has gone before, it can impo impact your own creative creativity because yeah. you're too worried about pleasing other people, pleasing the fans, and pleasing traditionalists than yeah. doing something that you want to do, exploring relationships or characters that you really want to do. Um, so, with all deference to to history and tradition, um, I, I don't really want to get too caught up in what has gone before. It's a similar thing like if you know if you want to write a write a vampire novel, you, you know you don't necessarily have to read every single vampire novel that has been written since yeah, Bram Stoker or Dracula. Yeah, just to, to just for the sake of deference to tradition. Um, yeah. So if you read Twilight, you probably just want to kill yourself anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shiny yeah, vampires. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, I, I yeah, I, I, okay. So, if I'll try and answer you and try and answer the question uh, briefly now. Uh, um, no, I didn't. I did, I wanted to show that they are both great candidates. Or the Phantom, and how difficult it will be for uh, the Phantom to choose one of yeah. his children to be the next Phantom. I didn't want to be accused of any bias, or uh, I didn't want to be accused of any gender bias as well. Even though I, I do believe most of the Phantom fans are male, um, <laughs> so it's not something I would really run a risk of. Being, but however, just from the you know the sense of being uh, being fair. Um, I mean, I have no problem with with Heloise being the next Phantom. Okay, you know, it's it's, it's not a. I don't think it's a decision I have to make. Who is the next Phantom? Um, so, I, I just just to be fair and balanced, but to show that they are both um, have qualities that would make a great Phantom as well, um, and. Often, um, a, a criticism of of uh, male uh, action heroes is that, that they are all grown in no brains. Um, so I was a little bit aware of that Kit as the, the potential next Phantom does have to show the fact that he's not just a meathead, that he can solve things, that he can think, figure things out, that he can think under pressure, that he can use 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 his uh, Use his brain as well as his muscles to to get out of of a problem, which is also um, uh, something which we are aware of with with the Phantom himself. That a lot of um, uh, a lot of contemporary stories try to show the thinking, analytical side of the Phantom. That he is a he's a he's a hero who who um, who who thinks about how to solve a problem rather than just going in and knocking everybody out um, simply because he doesn't have any superpowers. He can't rely on his physical powers to get him out of danger or, get him, or to, solve a, to solve a problem. He can't rely on, on just his, his fists all the time. He does have to come up with a plan as well. Mm. So he wanted to show that kid can do that. He's not just a um, you know, he's not just a, a, a muscle-bound 
God. <laughs> he can, he can uh, <laughs> fight his way out of trouble all the time. Yeah. I think I think that's one thing that that the fandom is, and um, that he's not just you know uh, a meathead like he's like like you said, that he is someone who's got brains as well. Um, uh, in a in the previous podcast, we were actually talking about um, how the fandom, he like he uses his mind and like he likes to play games like a cat with a mouse with his with his yeah. villains and stuff like that. And you even see that in the story that you wrote as well, where you know he's sneaking in the um, uh, in the darkness and stuff like that, and you know picking off one person at a time and. So um, yeah, yeah he uses. Uh, I I I try to use um, uh, the the Phantom defeats his his villains or the, his the people who are trying to hurt him by by exploiting the myth, the superstitions around yeah. Phantom. So he you know he's often doing things like that, going into a room, knocking out the lights and things. In a scary, gloomy voice, um, and it works a lot with uh, with, the, with Bengalis themselves because they're built up on the myth, and so half of the half of the, the battle is done for him by by exploiting their own uh, their own superstition. So it's it's a clever tactic that he he can employ by not directly confronting his opponents and not having to use uh, excessive violence all the time as well. Uh, as, you know, the first thing I was one of the first things I was told when I started working for Egmont is that the Phantom doesn't kill anybody. Yeah. Um, mm. He, you know, he when he uses his gun, he only shoots out the, his, his opponent's his opponent's gun. Now, it, it, as someone who came came in late, no pun intended, <laughs> to, the, to the to the Phantom method, um yeah, it, as someone who's grown up on Judge Dredd and Vertical Comics and things like that, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was a little bit hard to adapt to at, yeah. it, it, at first. There's, you know, cause it's a, it's totally against modern comics, uh, so and so it was a little bit hard to get used to. But then in the end, I I sort of um, admired this, and I admired the fact that the publishers of the the Phantom, all uh, uh, around the world, have kept that uh, that purity of the Phantom. They haven't felt it necessary to to go down the avenue of a lot of modern comics of using excessive violence and you know blood splattered uh, panels all over the page and things like that. So I think that there has has. That there is a, a lot to admire in that, that they have kept that that um, that that uh, part of the Phantom, um, and because it, for the reason I've just said, it, it allows him to be a thinking hero rather than a than a you know just going in and all guns blazing and killing everybody in the room, uh, which when it, it's from a creative point of view, there's not much you can do with that. You know. um, mm. yeah. but, so, Phil, you, you said there about well, the, the panels that you well, you mentioned blood soap panels. In your scripts, how much yeah. do you say that the how the panels are set out, or just are the actions going to flow? Did um, 
not having ever written a comic myself, but um, do you set it out like a film script, just scene one, this is stuff that's got to happen, or do you set it out panel one, page one, and go from there? H how do you uh, um, actually yeah, write? Yeah. yeah, okay. So, <clears throat> well, firstly, um, I came up with a synopsis, which I, I usually try to uh, make about five to six pages long. It's A4 paper. Um, so I nail, nail down all of the plots, all of the characters, um, and how, how the story develops. And then I send that off to, to Egmont. Uh, and then Egmont decide if they like it or not. And then if, if I get the green light, um, then it's on to uh, the, uh, the, the planning stage where I break it, break it down into, into, um, into a story. Now, the thing about comic script writing is there is no one way of doing it. There's um, lots of comic script writers have, you know, there's no standard way of doing it. A lot of people just do it in their own way. Some some draw draw the panels before writing them, uh, or some just sit down and write without making the plan. Um, I I do try to keep room for spontaneity, um, but basically with 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 the Egmont um, with the Egmont uh, comics, it, it, I, I I'm always bearing in mind that it's got to be 33 pages long. Uh, with about nine panels to each each page, so I, I sort of like um, separate. Well, what I what I what I started with with Edmund and I seem to have carried on is is that on each as long as on each page something happens. It's not just people sitting around talking, because a comic strip has to be dynamic. Has to have Action, especially the comics with like the Phantom, which is an action adventure story. So something has to happen on every page to keep the action going. So that's basically what I keep in mind. So every time I finish a page, writing a page, the story has moved on. There has been some action, something developed. So the plot has gone on to the next, the next step. So it sort of like keeps. The action gone keeps things moving all the time. Um, so I, I, I suppose um, an organic approach is uh, how I would describe it to to, to writing the writing comic script. Which, um, but it, at the same time, it has to be more more disciplined than, for example, if you're writing prose, where you can just sort of like uh, sit down. Um, and just let it all come out onto the page. When you're writing a, a, a comic strip, it has to be much more disciplined, um, as I said, you know, because you have you 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 are restricted in the number of pages and the number of panels that you have to play. With. And also, you have to be keep it very clear because a lot of the artists from Egmont are not uh, are not or are not native speakers. Of English, you know, we have artists from uh, Spain, Argentina, Italy, uh, Germany, and Sweden, of course. So you have to bear that in mind. You, you can't be too flowery, verbose, 
in the language you use. But at the same time, you do have to you, you do have to um, communicate um, um, how dynamic and action packed you want want the, you want the panel to be. You know how the phantom is is what the phantom is doing. How is he uh, standing? How is he looking at the people in the in the panel. How are the people in the panel responding to the phantom? Are they frightened of him? Are they at ease around him? You know, what does the phantom want from the people he's talking to? Things like that. So, you, but at the same time, you have to be clear and precise, but at the same time, expressive as well. Mm. So, do you? So, um, I, hope, I hope I made myself clear there. So, do you have um, do you have constant communication with the artist you're working with, or do you just sort of Not write the script really, and no. send it off? Yeah, I don't have any. Uh, once I finish the script and it's sent off to um, to Eggman, I don't have any any other input. Uh, so I try to um, put as much input and description into into the, the script before I send it off to Eggman. Yeah. Must must yeah. make waiting to see the finished product rather trepidatious. <laughs> yeah, but um, I haven't been art-wise. I haven't been too disappointed so far. In fact, sometimes I've been surprised when I've I've written something. Uh, when I've written something, and uh, well, I thought in red, like later on, I've gone over it, and after I sent it to Edmund, I just thought, well, I could have done that another way, or I don't know if the artist will understand that. Um, then when I get <coughs> get um, the artwork sent to me, and um, I'm often sometimes quite surprised, but pleasantly surprised, in what the artist uh, came up with. Yeah, no, there are some very talented artists working on on the Phantom uh, uh, who have a genuine love for the character as well. Yeah. Um, Mm. So, in looking at the stories that you've created, um, yeah. uh, I suppose two questions. One, you've had quite a few uh, talented artists. You've had uh, Le Pan, uh, Veluto, Spideri, Alex Saviak, Kenya Bade, and Hans Lindell. Do you have like a, a favourite out of those that have um, uh, that Ooh. you think that has um, done your artworks? That's a dangerous question, man. <laughs> yes, it's an unfair question as well. Um, um, All right, we'll go uh, on to the next question okay. then. <laughs> no, I, 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 will, I will answer. I will answer that. Um, in I, I, all of the artists who have worked on on my scripts, I I have liked their their work, but I have to say it was a, um, a, a pleasure and an honor to work with Alex Saviak because of his work on Marvel, because as a, yeah. I've always been a, a big Spider-Man fan. And my brother, my younger brother, is a, a, a Spider-Man fanatic. I mean, when we were kids, he used to collect all the Spider-Man merchandise and stuff. And when, um, when I told him that I was working on Xavier from one of the scripts. He he was saying, "Oh, can you get the artwork? Can you get me some of his artwork, please?" He, you know, like, he just wanted to, just to put up on his wall in his in his room, you know. Um, 
Spider-Man, especially with something with Spider-Man in there. So uh, it was a, a pleasure to have something I'd written, uh, drawn by, by such a, and a, and a playing the um, Marvel yeah. Saviak's, and uh, he's, he actually, he's got that action, you know, that real superhero action, action mm. uh, style that really suits the painting. I yeah. think it, it it connects a lot into a lot of the, the especially the, the side barrier stuff, you know, the old the classic uh, the Phantom look. It becomes that that dynamic, all action, all you know, muscular. Um, the, the Phantom is a, a real badass in in. His portrayal is not someone you would want to get on the wrong side of. No, that we're actually yeah. talking um, earlier about some of the Cyberry stuff and just how, like you say, badass the Phantom does get in some of those stories. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, Alex does tap into that, into that, that, that very, that look. Yeah, so I would. That's I'm not, with all due respect to the others, um, they're all great. They're all. Fantastic, but because uh, Alex, well, no, Alex is an American, and he has worked in he did work in the newspaper comic industry well, as well as as well as um, from uh, has worked in Marvel and DC and other other publishers. So he he comes from the same place the Phantom does in the yeah. term in the term of uh, the, the what the Phantom should look like and, and be like. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Alex, uh, he's he's come to Perth. Well, he came to Australia a couple of years ago. So um, a lot of the Australian fans uh, are quite fond of Alex. Yeah. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. He's a he's a really nice he's a really nice gentleman. I've uh, kept in touch with him as well, and yeah, he's he's a pleasure to talk to, and his art is 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 also very good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree totally. Yeah. Um, I wanted to sort of offer a little bit of a tangent. Ask you, um, Philip, like you were saying that you know, obviously you write your script in English, and then it has to be yeah. translated into Swedish. Um, yeah. for, for the Egmont stuff, it then I'm not sure if you're aware. It then gets translated back into English. Yes. Um, with Fru. Now you said you sent some of your scripts to Fru, so I don't know if yours have had to be translated because of that. However, there's never been a real consensus about how through translate their books, and sometimes the translation something is lost in it, shall we say? Um, well, I and agree, yeah. Other artists and writers have both said that they've seen the through editions of their stories, and it's and it's always surprised them how it's sort of come out the other end. Have you ever yeah. seen a through issue of your story and gone, "That's not quite how I imagined it to be"? Um. Yeah, I'm thinking how about to approach this question diplomatically. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, I realize. Sorry, yeah. I realize it, 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 it's a question that puts you in a difficult position as a creator. But as yeah. the readers of of these stories, we're of course interested in how it would originate and how through the various um, processes that it goes from getting from your you know laptop or keyboard or piece of chalk, whatever you used to write with, to Egmont. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How much we kind of um, lose in, not because, we're not saying that Fru does a bad job, it's just, you know, obviously something being translated that amount of times, there's something, it's almost inevitable something will be lost. And because yeah. 
the Australian readers are kind of the last ones to get the stories. There's always been an interest in if we are actually missing out on a heck of a lot or if it's just sort of the odd word here and there. No, it's some... Okay, I, I, I'm not really sure why because I'm not involved in that process. I'm just a freelancer, so I don't yeah. really know what, what goes on, um, what the agreement is between through Egmont and King Teacher Syndicate. Um, they have some understanding with each other. Um, but yeah, I write my script in English, it gets into Egmont, they publish it in Swedish, Norwegian, and Finnish, I believe. Um, and then, yeah, it gets sent to Australia. I do send my scripts to through, but they seem to be under some contractual obligation that they have to use the one that Egmont sends them. So oh, okay. Yeah. So they I they do get so there have been times when I've been because I do get copies from through. Um uh so they send me when they get published in Australia they post me a, a packet of uh of of copies and, and there have been times when I opened them and looked at some of the dialogue and thought, well, I don't remember writing that and, uh, yeah. and things like that. And you can see some very odd linguistic and lexical uh, oddities there as well, which, mm. which is, yeah, as you said, because it's it's gone from Swedish to English to to, to English. So yeah. um, I have no control over that. And I can understand why, 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 why the reader would feel um, a little, you know, would would have questions about how how this can how how it can happen. Um, so I, I I don't I don't really want to make too much of a of a comment about that as well. <laughs> it's not it's not my place to to do that. But I I I but I, from a from your point of view, I could, I could definitely understand uh, why you would be a little bit puzzled at some of the, the language that you see in the, in the comic. Um, and I, 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 I did see an improvement in some of the the free output. I, mean, when, I remember one of the first comics I wrote for Egmont back. Sorry, the first comic I got published by Egmont and then. It was the, the basilisk, um, and I remember getting the uh, the uh, free copy copies, and was quite surprised at how how when you compared them with Egmont's very swish and um, expensive looking uh, um, magazine, when you compared that with with Fruits, there was a marked difference. In yeah. quality of paper and printing, and uh, cover art as well. Um, you know, you, you, I remember reading, looking at the first, reading the first one, and the print is coming up on my fingers. It's like you know, the, the paper is, is very, um, very cheap. But as as time has gone by, it, it, the, the free comics have, have have improved in, in production-wise, but they still have some some. Strange content-wise as well, um, uh, and 
Yeah, so all, all I can say is that um, I do write in English. I am an English man, <laughs> so I, I don't I don't write in Swedish or anything like that. This, you know, um, so I'm not. I don't have any any say in that. In fact, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. sorry, sorry to put you on the spot. It's just for yeah, other just, creators. I, I, I just I think I managed to navigate those stormy waters. <laughs> yeah, well yeah. And, uh, yeah. I do. I do apologise for that. <laughs> well, I hope right. Mikhail or anyone's not listening on this. I mean, okay, what's he going to say now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's get yeah, out no, of the. Um, yes, let's do. Let's, let's get let's out of the dangerous <laughs> territory. So, yeah. Something else I was really <laughs> interested. <laughs> <laughs> Something, something else I was really interested to ask you was, um, you said you, you, you're a, you're a freelance writer, so obviously you're, yeah. you know, just write, you know, story to story sort of thing. But um, yeah. Egmont have done, for lack of a of a better term, I guess you'd call them event stories. Um, obviously not to the same extent that Marvel and DC do them, but you've had yeah. things like um, Election in Bengala and um, when Sandal Singh became the president of Bengali, she, it was quite an, an event. There were stories leading up to that. So I'm just wondering if you're ever consulted by Egmont saying, you know, th this is what we're going to do. Can you make sure you work this into your story? Is there like a plan that the editorial has that they've way they want yeah, to take well, the fan for the future or do they just sort of um, go, go with your own thing? Um, at the, well, at the, at the moment um, there has been some changes at Egmont. I, I don't know how much you know about that. They, they have put back in their production um, their output and the, the, the size of the comics has gone down from 33 pages to 22 and yeah. they've gone from uh, from fortnightly to monthly. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm in Oman at the moment. So, um, so there, there was a there was there was a change in the editorial team as well last year. Um, I, I think the previous uh, editorial team did have a um, did have a planned. Um, and for future stories in a direction that they wanted the phantom to go in. What the managers, the, the, the executives of Egmont, um, made cutbacks. And a lot of people ended up out of work or having less work. And so now they are uh, trying to adapt themselves to the, the reality that, you know. Uh, the Phantom, or Phantom Man comic, is not what it once was. It's not. I mean, it was. It's not such a household presence anymore in Scandinavia. It's become yeah. more of a, more of a, a nostalgic mm. item for for a, a a demographic approaching middle age or middle aged, or post middle age. That not not the kids are not getting into. But it's not just in Scandinavia, that's a worldwide problem. I'm sure it's the same down in Australia as well. Kids just don't read comics, don't. They're, they've got their faces into their gadgets and uh, the tablets and things. And So even digital comics, kids are not getting into. They put, it's too static for them. You know, they prefer uh, interactive entertainment. 
Um, so uh, I don't really know too much about what what the future direction of the phantom is. Um, I know all I can say is that in previous that previous the previous uh, editorial thing that I was given some direction about what was happening in Rodia and what was happening in the political amongst the political class in Bengali and how that was going to impact on future stories. But uh, now I don't know that much because I, I, I'm not sure what they are doing. I just know they're just trying to uh, stabilize stabilize uh, the situation in regards to making it a, you know, um, making the phantom a productive publication again. Yeah, it, it was a shame when we when we heard that news that they had to cut back on the um, on the size and 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 the um, the regularity of the comic because you know we've always thought of Sweden as the big market outside of Australia for the for the Phantom. So to see that it had to be cut back was was quite a shame. Um, yeah, I felt it in my pocket. Uh -huh. <laughs> 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 Um, so, well, do you have any stories in the uh, in the pipeline that you're writing, or you're about to write, or you're running over? I'm, well, yeah, I'm working on on one now. In fact, I was approached by Egmont to write a write a story, and uh, so I'm working on a new story at the moment, and it will be my deadline is the 11th of May. Um, okay. So it will be, uh, you know, you'll be able to read it. Through maybe next year or the end of this year. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the publishing schedule is. Yeah, I don't want to say too much about it because uh, you know I can't basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how long does the story take you to write? So you you have a you have a story, then it gets drawn, and then it gets appeared yeah. in a. In, in a comic book, and then it gets appeared in free. So, like, how long does it take you? I guess for people who don't know the process, it would be interesting to know how long it takes and stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I'm not usually given a deadline. This time, I've been given a deadline, but usually, I, uh, it's just uh, when it's finished. But um, <laughs> yeah, but for the sake of because I, I, you know, the working freelancer, you want to get as much done as quickly as possible so you can move on to the next project, um, especially when you have a mortgage to pay for and things like that. You know, bills, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So um, um, I, used, I would say it usually takes, well, under the old, uh, when it was 33 pages, I would, I, it took me about three days. I would get um, about 10 10 pages done on the first day, 10 on the second, then 13 on the uh, on the last. Yeah, so I I would discipline myself to do it within within uh, three days. That would be the. Oh wow, that's the, pretty quick. Yeah, but as I said, I would have already nailed the story down at the synopsis stage anyway. So you got the synopsis that gets that goes to the editor before you start doing the script. So that oh. gets sent off. To the guys at Egmont, they go through it, 
and they say, okay, are they suggesting changes? And you put the changes into the synopsis. So you, you, you've already know what you are going to do before you sit down to write. Then it's just a matter of sitting at a keyboard and and uh, writing a script. Yeah. Uh, I did write one I'm not going to tell you which one it which one it was. Uh, I did not, I did write one in a day once. One of the one of the one of the early stories. I'm not going to uh, tell you which one they were. The one Is that the best one? Uh, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say, you mean? <laughs> I'm just no, guessing. I, I was aware of the fact that it didn't go down very well in Australia. The best news. Um, well, one of the early ones was uh, what was written in a day, and I have nothing else to say on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I will go on to say, it, I, since then, you know, that was the first and only time that I wrote a, a comic script in a day. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, Jermaine, you want to say something? Yes, go on. Uh, oh, I was just saying, <laughs> the, the Bissell probably out of all the stories, it's probably my least of the favourite that you've written. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, I accept and that. And that's it's the, the first and last interview we'll have with Philip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, never speak to me again. Um, but I was yeah, just. I was, but sorry. No, it was. It did no, no, no. It was a beginner, beginner effort. You know, it was my uh, my first try at writing a phantom story. I was trying to do something a little bit different. Um, sometimes these things work, and sometimes they don't. And, yeah. Yeah. So that that kind of um, leads me to uh, want to ask if you obviously you know that the the Phantom's very international in his appeal. Do you have do you ever worry about oh well this might appeal to say the Scandinavian audience but the Australian audience mightn't like it or yeah. vice versa? Because uh, as you get Jermaine's reaction to the basilisk, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> well that's to, to be yeah to be fair because, on. Uh, yeah, because uh, in the Scandinavian market, the Scandinavian reader does prefer more supernatural, more mm. uh, mythological. I mean, a lot of a lot of the well-received stories in Scandinavia are the historical stories, which. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my goodness, the fall before from um. Australia. That. So yeah, so I think uh, the Aussie the Aussie readers are less. Thrilled by uh, the historical stories than the, than the Scandinavian readership. Uh, so I yeah, it's one out of three Australians don't like the historical stories as much as the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, Me I, and Steve I don't, don't mind it, and it's Joe that doesn't like it. <laughs> but, but I balance it up because I love the supernatural stuff. So. Yeah. But the, the that sort of those kind of stories are better received in Scandinavia than they are. Uh, down under, it's just different tastes. I, I think uh, mm. the, the Aust Australian readership have more American-style tastes. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's just my own feeling about it. While mm. while the Scandinavian readership is more into the European kind of um, school of comics, you know, the yeah. more uh, French, uh, Franco-Belgian kind of comics. Comics like Thorgal and a lot of the other French uh, historical comics of, of huge 
uh, bestsellers in Scandinavia. So the Scandinavian readership is less American orientated, it's more into manga and Franco Belgian comics. Yeah. And I think the Australian readers are more into the PC Marvel stuff. That's just my own my own interpretation of Yeah, no, well I'd, I'd say I, you you probably hit the nail on the head there because in Australia it is a lot easier to gain access to American comics than it is um, English or European. Um, f for example, we we can get um, 2000 AD and Asterix yeah. and Tintin, but with the exception of 2000 AD um, in Australia, mostly Asterix and Tintin are sell are sold in actual bookshops rather than comic yeah. stores. Um, yeah. And and the amount of European comics we get here is outnumbered 100 to 1 easily by by US comics. So it, it, you're probably exactly right. It's just the the things we have been exposed to has probably shaped our taste somewhat. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just cultural difference. It's simply yeah. that. So so I I am aware of that. I mean, uh, also as a as a British um, a British comic. Uh, fan, my um, my uh, my own background in comics is British. The British comics, um, well, it, it's quite a mix actually. I did grow up with the British comics, some of the American stuff, but I was also quite into European comics. Um, so, but I I do try to play to both both parts of the audience because I know this what I I'm writing for Scandinavia and Australia. But mm. um, it, it can be difficult sometimes to find find the uh, the the, the, uh, the, the balance. balance. Yeah. Do you yeah. prefer yeah. writing historical or do you prefer writing modern day? Well, the thing is, with a lot of the writers on on egg, on the uh, on Team Phantom and are historic history books, and they all want to write historical stories. So. <laughs> It, it can be. It can be uh, if you come up with a, a, an historical story and send one to Edmond, they'll sometimes go, "Oh my God, we've got you know every writer is sending a historical story." So <laughs> uh, when I first started, yeah, yeah, when I first started working on on on, on the Phantom, that was the, the case. So I've only, I think, I've only written one historical story. Uh, that was the, the case of Robert Fitzgerald, which was a mixture of, um, you know, horror, fantasy. Somebody's falling asleep there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> keeping you up? Oh, I'll be up again in about six hours to go to work. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was something I said, but okay. No, no, no I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the the case of Robert Fitzgerald was. was Really, the only so far the only really historical story I, I I read, but I tried to write that more as a more of a horror story rather than a plain historical. Um, well, it was um, more of a more of a tribute to the uh, the older uh, Universal Pictures monster pic, monster movie, mm. the Wolfman, the those those kind of nineteen thirties black and white. Hope and it was more like a, a, a tribute to that, in the sense of it being a horror story. Um, I, I would say, uh, but yeah, I tried to avoid them simply because there there was 
when I first started working on the Phantom, there was too many writers submitting historical historical story ideas. So it was just something I just avoided doing. I was fair enough. Uh, yeah, except the one that but that was because I was also asked to produce something um, something, you know, horror based. Yeah. PG rated, you know. <laughs> so you know appropriate for the planting. Yeah. Is, as we touched on before, the, the lack of gruesome violence and things. So I decided to do, you know, like a universal old nineteen thirties universal uh, yeah. which is mixed with action adventure. Yeah. Um they I think there's a lot of research goes into the Swedish the Swedish writers uh, have a, a great love of them. A lot of the Swedish guys. Uh, I mean, Kleiss himself with a lot of the historical stuff. Yeah. But it, it, I would feel like it would take a lot of research. Uh, I mean, there was one recently about uh, uh, setting Quebec, I think it was, which, which would, I would imagine took a lot of research to do. So. Yeah, yeah, what a. Mm. Um, so, have you ever thought about going the other way and doing um, a story about a future Phantom? Because we've had a couple of those in the in the past. Um, the cyber um, yeah. the cyber series was is a good example. It was out a few years ago. Well, as I said, it depends on uh, on the, on how Egmont wants to progress in the future. I'm open mm -hmm. to anything, you know. Um, I just don't want to become. Um, I'm open to anything that uh, progresses the the the, uh, the adventures of the Phantom and keeps the Phantom, um, um, you know, relevant and fresh and interesting for yeah. for readers. So if that involves, you know, doing a cyber Terminator-style Phantom, where, uh, a future kid comes back to undo some mistake that Halloween is going to make or something like that. But yeah, I'd be, that was just off the top of my head. So I'd be, uh, I'd read that. I'd That'd be, be awesome. Yeah, there you go, yeah. So uh, I'll send that off to Yeah, I'll send it off to Eggmont tomorrow. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, I, th I think you're safe there because the the rivals particularly has been very well received mm. in, in Australia and kicked up a lot of discussion about the, the twins and um, what their future roles could be. So you've definitely kept the interest going. So yeah, you, I think you've achieved that very successfully. Well, thanks very much for saying so. That's uh, appreciated and very kind of you. Jermaine's uh, not so subtle comments about the battle. <laughs> <laughs> Nice to um, feel some love from down under. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to patch the wounds, I think. <laughs> uh, I, think no, you but just did, I think you just dirty that uh, that you yeah. didn't, didn't progress in the World Cup, aren't you? Cricket World Cup. What Cricket World Cup are you talking about? I don't remember <laughs> anything like that happening recently. Yeah. Yeah. But um, no, it, it definitely was very well received, and there's been a lot of talk mm. about it on the on the Facebook groups and stuff. Um, I, I wanted to wanted to ask you, Philip, if you knew, and this is maybe maybe not as amazing a thing as we all made it out to be, but did you realise that your um, story, the past path to truth, had the honour of being the 1700th through issue, which was quite a big event for we 
we Aussies. Um, so I, your story. I, yeah. I, I wasn't aware. No, um, no, you, no. It's not uh, an honor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, we always get um, <laughs> kind of excited when Free gets up to these milestone issues. So, you know, to, to have 1700 issue and then then a quality story inside it, which um, they have let us down on a little bit in the past, was, was quite good. So I thought I thought you might might like um, like to know that you you're able to um, achieve one of the Free milestones with with one of your stories. So. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that with me, and um, it's, a, it's an honour. Cheers. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I think we've we've probably exhausted all the the questions and embarrassment for one episode. Um, is there <laughs> is there any anything you want to tell fans that are listening, or um, any uh, messages you you'd like to give up to your readers? Yeah, it's just keep uh, keep buying the books, and um, I hopefully, you know, I'll keep entertaining you, and uh, and you'll want to speak to me again. And anytime <laughs> you want to come back on and invite me up on the show, just let me know. It's been a it's been a lot of fun talking to you guys. Yeah. Oh, good. I, I was going to say you, know, you you mightn't want to talk to us after tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a lot of fun. It really has. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Right. Awesome. Well, um, we've probably taken up a lot of your time, seeing you just got back from work and probably want to have a relax. But um, thank you yeah, very nice. much for for joining us. My it, pleasure. It, it has been an honour. And um, the episode in which we did talk about the rivals isn't online yet as we record this. But if you do want to check it out, um, it'll be up there. It's all. Yeah, the, the reaction has been very good to it. So congratulations well, on, on such yeah. a good story. Thanks, thank you very much. That's a, that's a, that's nice to hear. Really is. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh no worries at all. Thank, thank you. you for giving okay. us some great comics. Okay, cheers, man. Okay, cheers, lads. Thank you very much. Take oh. care. Thank yeah, you too, Philip. Have a good one. Okay, you too. Bye bye. 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 bye.